0: OK, so we're live. So first of all, guys, thank you very much for, for being here today. Um, I think I've gotten to know you guys individually pretty well, to be honest, over the last few weeks. Um, I'm really excited to bring you guys together to discuss all the topics that you want to discuss. Um, it's really a great opportunity to share your thoughts and hopefully we can all take away something from this. Um, I think really my aim of, of this sort of getting together is going to be to facilitate the conversation uh keep to the time of the session so i'll let you guys take the lead really on you know the topics and very much the discussion and the flow it will go down Um, you know as you quite quite well know i'm a recruiter i'm not a leader in health Um, i place people into health tech so it's something that i am you know heavily vested in and interested in ultimately um, and really just to start with a bit of an introduction then. So my, na- my name is Brad. I work at Evolution as a senior consultant within our Midlands NHS team. Um, as a nice breaker question for all of you, what is it that you've enjoyed most about lockdown? I would like to go first if you don't mind. So we've heard lots of negative things so far, but to put a bit of a pos- positive thing onto things, um, mine has definitely been working from home to be honest. Um, I'm still quite new into my career in recruitment in some ways, about a year and a half. To so be able to work from home was something that was quite new and exciting for me. And ultimately, it's led to uh, being able to spend a lot more time with my family because I've not had a commute to commit to. Um, so, Chari, would you like to go first?
1: Sure. Hi, it's been a pleasure. Thank, uh, it's a good forum to connect with fellow project managers across digital transformation and i think the one good thing about the lockdown for me has been spending time at home and getting to eat a lot of meals mm-hmm. which hasn't been a thing for me because i used to travel a lot for my work and takeaways was the way to go so i've been eating healthy getting more time to exercise that's a really good thing um me i currently work with kgh as a digital transformation project manager and um, managing uh, digital transformation projects like Office 365 rollout and new intranet. So looking forward to our chat ahead.
0: Rayhan, would you like to introduce yourself and answer the question? Sure.
2: Um, I'm Rayhan Zafel. I am currently working with the Kettering General uh, Hospital Trust and uh, I'm working on their EPR program um, and uh, specifically on the E modules upgrade and additional modules deployment. Um, so uh, from that uh, COVID nineteen perspective, lockdown perspective, yes, it was a it was a mixed bag. However, I think uh, it gave, it gave us, or at least myself, um, some time to reflect. To be honest, and uh, time to have a break and uh, spend time and quality time with uh, my family. Um, And another positive aspect is after that, we are moving towards remote working and that is being more acceptable now within the NHS. Um, Before that, it was probably not a very good idea to be working remotely, Uh, and showing your face, meetings and all that. But this is getting more and more acceptable.
0: So happy with that. And Kitty, would you like to go?
3: Yeah, so I'm Kitty Grew. I'm a project manager uh, in the Crip team in North Central London CCG. Um, And I think, well, on a personal level, I have to say I enjoy not having to commute and get on the buses and trains in London for a while. That's a nice little break. Um, and I think probably one thing we'll touch on later, but one thing I've found quite good about lockdown in, in work terms is that it's kind of slingshotted a lot of things forward that for ages, oh, my cat's come to join, um, that for ages I was told wouldn't work and um, needed a lot of um, work towards changing. Things have actually happened quite quickly, even things like flexible working, as you're saying.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think. We've all made some some really good points there. Um, I think really the first question that we'll move into then is is Kitty's question. I think it it leads on quite nicely from the icebreaker question. Um, Kitty, would you like to read your question or would you like me to read it for you?
3: Yeah, um, I can. I do have the email. Um, Let me just get the email up so I can read it. Yeah, no problem. Um, Yeah, so mine was um, about... I've found, as I said, i found the system to be very efficient at implementing changes quickly. Um, and we've been able to put systems in place quite effectively, um, especially projects that we found quite hard to get off the ground before. So I guess my question was, do we think this will continue post-COVID if that day ever comes? Um, and if, it, if, is there a way that we can help speed that along? Because I'm conscious that I don't wouldn't want to just go back into the old way of working when I think we found we can effectively work this way.
2: Yeah, I think I can um, add to that, uh, as I mentioned a bit earlier, that yes, we, I, I can see the shift. I can see the changing behaviour towards that, and that is very positive. Elsewhere, in uh, other industries, um, it has been a common practice, especially around IT and digital arena. And uh, for the NHS, this is my, my experience over several years, um, it has always been the case that, oh, face-to-face meeting would always be a good thing. And that is how, because when we talk about project and program management, it's it's, it's a lot about stakeholder management and uh, getting their expectations right and uh, manage their expectations properly. However, with this... Um, with this event, with this pandemic (laughs) event, I think that has shifted their approach, specifically around clinicians um, uh, and other uh, operational uh, senior management as well. Um, That is now they feel and they understand that yes, with this new technology, this MS Teams, because usually and mostly it's MS Teams which is being used, Within the NHS, so all these new technology, it is very well possible to have a, a very good face-to-face sort of virtual conversation and get your points across, and uh, in in um, while while without leaving your office or desk even, and that is helping them save more time without going to. Um, meeting rooms somewhere in the trust or that organization and then coming back. And And meanwhile, there are lots of you, you, you see people, you have to talk to them. And if it's a one hour meeting, it ends up a two hour sort of whole session. So from that perspective, I, I see that change and shift. And that is very positive, in my opinion. And uh, I can see that they quite like it as well.
1: That's True, I think I have about three points to make on your, um, your question, Kitty, okay. I really like the question when I first tweeted it because yes, I think this is every project manager's dream come true. You want change, everybody exactly. wants to change, the adopters are ready, the implementers are ready, everybody just wants it. So. Yeah. I think that has been great, but what we do need to consider is why and how has that become possible because there's been a central driver and the driver has been a pandemic situation which needs management. And everybody who hasn't had the mindset of supporting remote working or distributed working as we call it has just changed their tunes because that is the need of the hour. So I think it's important to consider the driver. and. As much as we consider that driver, it was probably more true in the first three months than in the uh, later three. So the pace of rapid change and adoption has, in my view, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might have experienced something else, has been much faster in the first three months of the lockdown. So March, April and May saw the changes being implemented much more faster. Mm -hmm. But um, the next last three months, I think it has gone down a little. Uh, It's still gone back to its previous phases is when it has to check a lot of boundaries on IG side on clinical safety side on adoption and training and it's um, it's slowly you know coming back to normal mm. uh, and that's where the second part of your question really excites me what can we do to maintain that pace mm. uh, so I have a question to that do you really think that pace should be maintained or with a given amount of resources and teams is it going to burn out uh, us in IT in digital transformation who are implementing the change and the end user who are getting six emails a day about various different changes going in both on digital side as well as operational side
3: so um how do we yeah, create balance? That's, that's interesting I think there's I think I agree that it would be very difficult at the exact pace that we're doing it now and processes to carry it through completely but I definitely think there's Um, elements of it that we can take forward so um, for example I found that it seemed like individuals are given a lot more ownership of of work at least in my organization where before you would have to run something by three different people at different levels we I almost felt trusted to be like okay you guys work as a team and you can make that decision and I do think that sort of stuff could be carried forward but equally I'm aware that um, because we're moving these timelines uh, faster certain things like testing for example or um, getting feedback and implementing that feedback has kind of been cut down and I um, it, I guess we're doing it more as we go so we're changing things as we go but equally I get that that can be difficult for, cl- for clinicians who don't have a lot of time to um, keep learning a new process so I think that that is something that might be get a bit lost if we continued in this way you know evaluating things looking at what actually doesn't work and does work and making those changes but in terms of i guess as you were saying like meetings and stuff there are a lot of things i think actually do we need to have loads of different meetings with loads of different people to do this or could we just um push it through but i do think yeah i get that engagement um to build something especially with clinicians has been slightly lost so for example we're putting in a new um referral support system and ordinarily we probably would have had more time to sit down with you know gps and ask what they want but in this scenario it's been just like okay here is the system this is what it is um which in some i guess it depends the kind of where you work for some gps they like that and they're like great just tell me what to do and i'll implement it but other gps don't like it at all and feel that they should be consulted with the system they're working with which is understandable i think so yeah, I'd say it would be about taking elements forward, but I agree it wouldn't necessarily work to just do this in the long term, this, this way of working.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's, it's the sustainability basically and it's the appetite of individual organizations and uh, how they plan their programs of work. And absolutely the, the response has been phenomenal because of this uh, event, because of this pandemic and I think uh, every organisation has responded in a very well uh, manner. However, I agree with both of you that uh, yes, it is going to be a matter of sustainability and uh, it may not work going forward. And then each individual looking at their resources, looking at their programs of work and looking at the appetite, um, I think those are the consideration and factors um, which will drive.
1: Absolutely. I think um, what Kitty said specifically about, um, you know uh, bypassing a few things and giving more ownership to uh, certain individuals to take decisions as and when needed. And uh, giving that autonomy has resulted in faster pace of deployments and will continue to do so that is one thing we can probably carry forward and also the framework that has got set you know the expectation that you would not be having three meetings before the go live but just
3: a meeting and a few emails
1: is uh, that is actually a game changer it might be a small change but as a project manager we've all seen going crazy meeting to meeting to meeting to just 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 get people to agree for a go no go decision. So that I think is a very positive change that has happened and that's likely to continue. And the format of delivering that change via various digital platforms, specifically Microsoft Teams and virtual consultations, etc. has been massive. Um, Yeah, I
3: I think one thing that has been quite good is that, like, it, it sounds, I think a lot of the time we talk about working as a system rather than just working as individuals. And I do feel like this has actually been a really good example of this. So as I said, um, previously I was working on solely quick projects and I've ended up working on lots of different work but I feel like when jobs needed to be done it was less oh who's at that level or who's in this band and it was like right, who's the most appropriate person to do the job who has capacity and it means that people are kind of working across different teams across different systems and it just means it's better connected so now I know people from across the patch that I might not have known before.
0: Has anyone got any other points they'd like to make on that particular question or? No, thank you.
1: We've got a wrap on this
0: one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think leading on to the next question, I think we'd like to maybe look at Chari's question next. Um, Chari, would you like to read your question?
1: Sure. We um, just print that email
0: off. Yeah, no problem.
1: All right. So, um... What I wanted to talk about today with um, all of you is you know leveraging the power of collective negotiation at NHS to drive supplier behavior and establishing central deals and you know maybe empowering the central bodies to do that on behalf of individual NHS organizations so just to give you a brief overview of this we at NHS are a group of 1.4 million um, individuals who work on various different clinical, non-clinical, administrative systems. And we come from different walks of life. We come from different trusts, CCGs, health informatics, etc. And together we have a huge negotiation, negotiating power which gets diluted or lost in local inefficiencies. Uh, so as, as NHS, should we be looking at support from um, central organizations like NHSX and NHS Digital, which they have done previously in, you know, negotiating deals with Microsoft for the likes of Microsoft 365 recently or Windows 10 licenses buying them um, centrally and allocating to NHS and then each organization also benefits from situation like COVID-19 where huge debts get written off so um how should these things be channeled going forward to give the best benefit to each organization
2: okay I, I can go first um it's a it's a very I think important and vital um, question and um, something it there has been a lot of work if we look at the history I'll give you some context and um, we can take it from there as well there was a program national program for IT and PFIT fit program. Um, a decade or so ago, or even more than that,
1: 15
2: so years ago. And uh, that was a collective effort from NHS England to make a deal with the supplier, negotiate and try to implement um, all over the trusts. However, you would find it in, in various um, readings and, and journals, and media, that didn't work very well, unfortunately. And the reason behind that was every, although they are all part of um, one organization, bigger organization, as you have uh, highlighted, it's 1.4 million or so uh, people working um, for one organization. However, each organization, each trust or hospital, they work from a process point of view. They work slightly differently. And that, that was a major reason for that failure. Since then, it has been changed to, okay, we will go individually and get the right type of product from the right supplier to get and implement or deploy certain systems. Then there has been um, a sort of development for frameworks, and um, I know that there has been frameworks. I have worked uh, with the SBS frameworks. They then, what they do is they qualify certain suppliers and products for certain areas and systems. And that is how it makes it easier for organizations to not only scrutinize, because they are all, already been scrutinized through that framework, but it gives us a better chance to shortlist, do a mini competition or things like that, and even negotiate on cost element. So that is the second element. The third and final I would like to make is that, yes, local economies, local um, healthcare sort of um, economies, they tend to uh, work together and I have in Midlands, I have not only witnessed, but I have been part of that as well, that uh, collectively, few trust, they collectively, if they want to um, implement a system, they go out to uh, tender so that they can get and negotiate a better deal. And I think with this um, SDP, um, you know, sustainability, and transformation program which was launched uh, by nhs uh, a few years ago and then that has helped us a lot as well and that can probably drive towards further collaboration if not nationwide but local collaboration um yeah
3: i think it's a really valid an interesting question. It's. I feel like it's something that gets brought up every few years and then nobody necessarily has a solution. I don't know if you've read um, Lord Carter of Coles did um, some reports on this. I, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but basically discussing system efficiencies and um, places that I think there was an example of like a, a particular um, bandage that one hospital was buying for 60p and another hospital was buying for £25 each one. So there is, a really vast variation, and in the report, he isn't necessarily talking about right from the get-go trying to bring everyone to the same supplier and the same pr- price. But it's more about, I guess, closing um, that um, the inconsistent that that's such a big inconsistency, so such a big gap. And I think that would probably be a sensible sensible place to start because I think it, it is quite difficult, isn't it? Because. Um, I struggle, the, the questions you're saying, I struggle to do that in North Central London, <laughs> even in when I was just working in Islington, it's different, difficult to get all the providers to do the same thing, let alone all of England, uh, all of the NHS. Um, so I think it, it would have to work in a way that you'd find a level of, I don't think one blanket um, procurement provider would work for everyone, uh, That that feels like it would be too difficult, but equally, I feel like there must be a smarter way to have less variation. And again, it I think it can depend. It can depend on the area because there are things like inequalities and different trusts or different places have different amounts of money, which can make it quite difficult. And I know that when, although it's not procurement, um, along the same strand, when we've been trying to implement framework that say one hospital uses. Um, and we try and use it in another hospital, they can say, well, that hospital has loads of money or, or they have loads of nurses or whatever. and we don't have that. So it's quite difficult to take one framework or, and spread it across all of them. But equally, I do think there are ways to close the gaps that there's slightly more consistency um, because, yeah, there shouldn't be one trust that's paying you know, more than 10 times what another trust is simply because of the provider they have. It doesn't make sense.
1: Yes, and I also believe, imagine all of these trusts, we have over 180 trusts across UK and um, all of them spending time at advanced and above levels trying to come up with a system, designing some things which are very basic, which, are, which need to be just part of any system. For example, let's take E-observation um, because you mentioned that in the beginning of the discussion. Um, Everybody putting in various different charts and the ways of working in an already established news tool system or the way Pews and Pops and Sepsis works and then trying to align it within their particular uh, uh, offering is is kind of having that, um, having that burden on each trust, spending the same amount of time in designing it, testing it and uh, inputting it. Whereas if for those eight EPR suppliers, if there was a standard practice, standard norms of defined Ways of doing jobs and various other related things like sepsis, etc. Would that not be a removal of massive overheads? You know? Just just get up to business. up an app that works for, for most of the organizations, and and then and then use it. Obviously, every every uh, provider and um, supplier does give you a uh room to make changes in around configuration etc which can work for each organization which can work out to you know remove those discrepancies you just managed in processes etc so um so uh, who should really be looking at it you know because this is considering the debts that we accumulate every year this is a huge cost and sooner rather than later we should somebody should actually be looking at aligning these costs it's, it's much easier seen and realized in terms of drugs and bandages and you know, everything that you can see, which you can um, you know, count. But in terms of digital transformation, I think it's a lost cost and a lost opportunity. So not negotiating things centrally. So.
3: Yeah, and I think I agree that it would be quite difficult for one individual um, trust or something to take the lead on that. It feels like it would need to come from, as you're saying, like NHS England, or. And it just um, improvement. Well, yeah, the, you know, somewhere.
1: Yeah,
3: and I think that. What in the in the meantime, one thing that is possible for us and it sounds like such a like um, cliche thing to always say, but is communication because I found a lot of the time. I've got halfway through a project and then i'll think oh well let me see what people in other areas are doing and they've actually mapped out the entire project and they've already done it and they're you know the next bar over and you think well why didn't you let us know that you would come to this solution so i think you know now that the ccgs have merged that might um, be a situation that is a bit different but i do think that there is something about sharing best practice with people and saying we've come up with this solution because then i find what can happen is if two Um, different organizations have worked really hard on a project. Neither of them really want to give up their one because they think, well, no, well, I worked really hard on this, so we'll do this system. You should come to our system. Everybody's become too invested in their own system to want to adapt to make something together.
2: Absolutely. Um, this, This collaboration element um, absolutely, I agree with that. And uh, the point you made, uh, Cheryl, about uh, um, the observation and News Two and Pews and all that—yes, um, that all makes sense. And uh, there is a nationally available uh, news for for adults, News Two charts, which is now being adopted by all EPR suppliers. However, funny thing is, there isn't any for children, unfortunately, and that is being developed by NHS. Uh, so this has to come again from the top, from, from NHS or NHS improvement or, or some sort of um, clinical body up there or digital body so, so that it trickles down and adoptability rates can go up. And collaboration and communication is the key. And um, we we are, for example, for this project, we are collaborating with Alder Hay in, in Liverpool, uh, which is a which is a brilliant uh, um, trust for children's, as uh, a children's hospital, special specialised children's hospital. And uh, that helps a lot um, because so many things which you are trying to do, someone at somewhere they have done it. So you can, with that collaboration and communication, you can uh, um, yeah. help with that and uh, build on that instead of uh, yeah. uh, starting from a
0: fresh or something like that.
3: Definitely. Does
0: so anyone else have any points they would like to make on, on Charlie's question?
3: That's oh, really interesting to talk about.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so finally, we'll move on to Rayhan's question. Certainly not last. Um, if you want to ask your question to the group, Rayhan. Uh,
2: yeah, it's it's a it's a sort of a general discussions around uh, the EPR implementation and the clinically led implementation of EPR and its impact. Um, around that, um, I'll I'll start with that, and we can have a discussion. So generally, the clinical systems or digital systems in the trust, they they are taken as IT systems. You might have heard it and it's it's been going on. The trend is changing a little bit, but still, it's the IT systems. All right, it's IT, it's IT. And that makes it feel that, okay, they are the owners, they are the responsible uh, people who are going to configure it, implement it and hand it over and all that. However, these are clinical systems. Uh, when we talk about EPR, when we talk about um, electronic uh, patient, uh, sort of a medical uh, medicine administration and uh, vitals, observations, and these kind of systems, these involve and include a lot of clinical input. And that is why, um, in in my experience, I have seen that wherever there is a clinically led team working on such system or project that has better um, chances to a successful implementation and adoption. And that is very important, adoption. That change, if it is, a clinical-led project of that system, then the change to bring in that change becomes easier and adoption becomes easier. Otherwise, in in, in many places, if you see if it is IT or if it is operations leading on that, it's the change aspect which is, or which can be a potential, um, uh, Potential point where it gets stuck. What are your views?
1: So, I'll go first. I haven't had much experience within catering delivering an EPI, but I've been part of a few meetings and we get updates from your program manager. Um, uh, In my previous role at UHL uh, there were a few work streams on EPR that were delivered and these programs like with any other project are highly dependent on your end user. If you're not factoring your end user experience and your end user feedback and system design and testing, you are likely to set up yourself for. Let's not call it failure, but uh, reiteration or changing things much quicker than expected. So, um, It is a very important that this should be not just uh, inclusive of clinical leadership, but also led by clinical leaders. And that's why there are posts like CMIOs and CNIOs within Trusts. Having a CMIO or a CNIO as the SRO for a particular work stream, and then having a team of uh, certain nursing staff at various different bands, which are called clinical facilitators at UHL, could be called anything in various organizations They're like a link between IT and the clinical staff. And they work closely with business analysts, solution architects and project managers to not only design the system, but the processes on how things would change on ground and then help you with training and comms as well. So I think having them is like having having people on ground and with, with their ears and their eyes on what's actually happening and aligning that with your EPR goals is very helpful. And that should be a part of any
3: epr program is my feeling um, excellent yeah yeah i think definitely there's a benefit to even if you have something clinical led it's very useful to have a, a different range of people on on a sort of design team like i'm sorry my cat is obsessed with getting in the camera um a design team with different pe- people who can t- pick up different things so um like the saying like it's good to have a project manager because often clinicians don't have a project management experience you know they wouldn't know the typical things of timelines and business cases and that sort of stuff and I guess as a project manager that's where you can assist but equally as their subject matter experts they understand how things work in practice because I think it can often be easy I've looked at certain statistics sometimes and be like well why do not they just do that that makes more sense and once you talk to a clinician there's like actually there's a valid reason why we can't really operate like that Um, Equally, if you have business analysts, it's really helpful for them to be able to spot certain trends that you might not pick up because they know what, you know, normal looks like and what's something that looks slightly out of place. Um, And I think there are definitely forums that are really useful. So my old work, I used to work for the Academic Health Science Network in South London, and we used to run community of practices um, around certain subject matters. Um, like clinical subjects, and they were always run by a clinician, and it was a complete mixture of bands, so it wasn't at all hierarchical. Although there was a leader of each session, they were very much more a facilitator. Um, and loads of really great ideas came out of that. Um, again generally you know a a consult for example a consultant might say oh we'll just do it this way and then a nurse who does a certain thing loads of times like actually no that wouldn't work because this is how we do that this is how we do that so I think it's definitely important to engage people across even if it's something in secondary care even involving people in primary care can be very useful almost again like it sounds cliche but looking at the whole patient journey and how that will be affected by something rather than I think often people can fall into a trap of thinking. For example, us working on RSS, it's easy to go like, well, all we're working on is the referral. So we're in that stage of the pathway. We're in reality. You're trying to affect the entire pathway because maybe they don't need to go to secondary care or maybe it can be handled in one place. So even if you're working one part of the system, I think it can be important to look across the whole system and see how use you, your scheme or project or whatever slots into that.
1: Um, absolutely I think that impact assessment is key while in our roles we are, we are much focused on technical impact assessment it's it's those ground, those um, clinical leads that would actually give us an impact assessment in terms of how it impacts the organization the flow of patients and a lot of other things which we might miss so. Having them early on in the project and all through the life cycle of the project is the key to a successful EPI?
3: And I think there's definitely something um, important around recording these conversations that happen, because I think something that's happened for, for me before is that I've gone to a clinician and said, oh, we're thinking about working on this, like we have that. And they say, well, I've told people about this before and nothing's happened. And I think there can be fatigue from clinicians who sometimes feel like, especially working at CCG, that. We're just coming in and you know imposing we need this information they don't really get feedback and i think they actually clinicians do find it really helpful if they give us information to say okay this is what we did with that and this is why it was useful and you end up people talk a lot about champions but then you do end up having people invested that will actually push it through when you're because as much as um you can be a project manager eventually it will go into bau and you won't have any ownership or control over it anymore so you want to have faith that other people will carry that on and really they'll only do that if they're equally as invested as you are and that's about winning hearts and minds really.
2: That's excellent um, views uh, and I absolutely agree with the both of you, that's uh, very good points and um, I, I would refer to Katrin uh, um, General Hospital Trust um, because I, I I feel that they Obviously, they have a very ambitious APR deployment uh, program. However, I think they they understood the clinical engagement side and the importance of all the program clinically led. And that is how and that is why we see um, clinicians engaged and involved and empowered. And that is making that program to move forward that quickly and be able to implement successfully. And uh, you would see CCNI, CNIOs, CCIOs, not one, but multiple, so that they can lead on various multiple uh, work streams. And that is very helpful. And that makes the the whole program flow very smoothly and very quickly so
0: yeah. Okay. Does anyone else have anything they want to jump in on really on Rayhan's point there? I think
1: it's everything covered.
0: Okay so that's that's pretty much everything we've covered all the questions that we prepared for guys um, I just want to take the time as well to thank you for your contribution today um, I hope you all found it enjoyable and useful I certainly have I uh, really appreciative of you you coming together to to get involved in something like this. Um, next steps from here, we will get our marketing team uh, to prepare some sound bites. Nothing will go out without your saying um, saying that you're happy with it. Uh, we will then also come to you separately with your sound bite and publicly thank you on LinkedIn. Um, is that okay with you guys?
3: Yeah, thank you. It's really really interesting. That's good.
0: Good, you. i hope you enjoyed it. Just to quickly mention as well, we also have a Slack channel for participants in these events. Uh, so I'll add you into that as well. So you can have a little bit of a network of people that we've also had on previous sessions and you can keep in contact yourselves as well. And also we'll post some content in there that you, you can see what we're up to as a, as a brand and also myself uh, and really be able to keep you in tune with everything that's going on.
3: Sounds good. Thank you so much.
0: No problem. Thank you very much, guys.
3: Have a good
0: evening, Thank everyone. You. And very nice meeting you
3: all nice to meet you nice to meet you all bye bye Bye-bye. bye